the show today, Bertrand Camus, partner at Summa, and he's focused on circularity, waste, and water sectors. And with us is also my co-host, Rainier Indal, founder and managing partner of Summa Equity. Today, we'll talk about the theory of change and about the massive opportunity that lies in the circular economy. So Bertrand, a warm welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. So you are the former CEO of the French multinational utilities company, Suez. And in September last year, you joined Soma. Why? All my career, uh, I have been very uh, purpose-driven. And uh, I enjoyed the 27-year journey with uh, Suez, uh, working on waste and, and water services almost everywhere in the world. Uh, I lived a long time outside of, uh, of Europe. And for uh, my next challenge, uh, I was looking for... Uh, a place that serves also a purpose. And this is definitely what I found uh, with uh, Suma, uh, this vision of uh, trying to do business while addressing global challenges is something which is very uh, dear to my heart. The second thing is uh, the team spirit you have in uh, Suma. Uh, great colleagues, very bright people, but all totally dedicated to that purpose. And last but not least, uh, Suma is also uh, the owner of the number one resource company uh, in uh, Norway. And uh, we have grand plans to uh, make it uh, a Nordic leader in the coming years. So uh, all in all, very happy to be part of the team and work with Rainier and the other summits. And Bertrand, uh, I'm also uh, super excited by having you on board. It's not that often you find me people that are passionate about waste. So I'm, I'm glad we're sharing <laughs> that uh, passion. Was this how you met? So we met through some uh, common acquaintances and professional network. And then I think, uh, at least from my side, Bertrand, it was uh, an instant liking and uh, an excitement around the area that we're both passionate about. As a member of uh, SUMA's resource efficiency team, your work is to identify investment opportunities, to develop strategies, and also support the companies. So what's your experience so far? It has been great. A large part of the, the first month were really dedicated to, to North Sea Vening, a waste company, getting to know the teams, visiting the installation, and also putting uh, together a strategic plan to really transform not only the company, but the industry in, in the coming years. I am an operational guy by ground, so for me, it's very important to... Uh, know the teams, visit the facilities, and, and really understand how the, the company is working. And then, in addition, we have been looking at plenty of opportunities in the region and also elsewhere. And you will see, uh, when we speak a little bit more in detail about what's coming next for the waste and the circular industry, it's an ocean of opportunities. There are so many things that are happening today, and it's happening now. And SUMA is uh, ideally positioned to uh, not only embrace that uh, major shift, but also be a leader in that uh, transformation. So uh, let's talk about change, which is essentially what we all work for in, in different ways. And there are conceptual models for creating desired change. And I know that you work very much with the theory of change. So how would you explain the theory of change? When we speak about uh, theory of change is to speak about changing the system. Uh, we know that if we go uh, as we have been uh, going for the past uh, decades, uh, we will never solve the global challenges, which is really our, our target and our purpose. And the theory of change is really uh, defining how the system should change to achieve some, some goals, which are in the case of uh, resource efficiency, 
first of all, reduce drastically the greenhouse gas emissions, CO2 in particular. The second thing is also improving the access to resources. The planet is limited and we know that there will be a struggle in the future for scarce resources. And not to speak about biodiversity, because each time you extract a material from the nature, you impact and affect biodiversity. So it's really thinking about how the system should be and therefore the destination, what should change. And then it's also about the path to get there. It's what should be done, how the actors should play their role, knowing that it is what we call a wicked problem. We cannot change the system if not all of the actors are playing and acting in the same direction. Interestingly enough, and I was not familiar with theory of change, it's something that is very much used by non-for-profit and governmental agencies, very rarely used by uh, for-profit businesses. So uh, I think that uh, SUMA is, to a certain extent, uh, pioneer in this, uh, in, in this uh, adventure. And also, what is important to say is that uh, whenever you embark into uh, trying to develop a theory of change, it's very important to frame correctly the question. And what is the destination? Because when we speak about waste management, of course, it is around uh, reuse, reduce, recycle, lower the carbon emission. But we could achieve that by simply dividing by two our consumption or uh, dividing by two uh, uh, also the travels we make and so on and so on. And therefore, it is not the future we want for the society. And what we have been uh, really taking into account is that material usage has brought prosperity in our economies, especially uh, in northern countries in Europe. And we think that doing things in a more circular way could help to still enjoy uh, this prosperity, but by having a much lower impact on the planet, uh, both in terms of CO2 emission and biodiversity. So if we're going to solve some of these challenges, we need to think about what does the future look like and what's the outcome that we want. And uh, if you take waste and circularity as a problem, it is a wicked problem. And a wicked problem doesn't have one solution. So it doesn't matter if all the waste management companies in the world go in the right direction. If the industrial companies, uh, if the government, if the consumers don't sort of act in a similar fashion with the same goals and the same outcomes in mind. And there are unintentional consequences in this. There's a lot of trade-offs. So uh, by defining and agreeing on what the outcomes can be, and then to have suggestions and plans for how to create this systemic change, then we're much more likely to actually go in that direction, all of us. And that ties into the strategy. So Burton is right. The theory of change is not a strategy plan for any one company, but it informs the strategy plan. And for us as an investor, looking at investing to solve global challenges, this theory of change informs where should we invest and maybe where shouldn't we. There's a lot of change that is going to happen. Some of them might look positive and green in the near term, but not in the longer term. So it informs our view of where the, the world is going and, and how this challenge is going to be solved. So Rainier, moving into circularity, we still have very much of a linear economy today in Europe. And at the same time, everybody is talking about circular economy. There is a clear shift towards that, but still things seem to be going quite slow. Do you agree? And why is that in that case? I mean, indeed, if, if you measure how much is being recycled and how fast the circular economy is developing, it's surprisingly slow when you look at the numbers. Because when you look at the, the web pages of all the companies, I mean, it seems like we're already there. 
I was shocked to see how much is still going to landfills in Europe. I mean, I thought that was something of the past, but it's not. It's definitely going much slower than you would hope for and expect. And at least if you see how you know, marketing and communication is around it uh, and look at the actual facts. Bertrand, Summa has made a plan for how we can get to a circular economy and theory of change. But my question is, can we get to this circular economy, do you think? And what is this big opportunity? Today, you still have a lot of inefficiencies. For example, uh, as an average statistic, a car is only used 5% of the time. Otherwise, it's, it's stations in a parking lot. When you look at construction, uh, we could reduce by two the quantity of iron and steel and concrete to achieve the same results if uh, design was uh, better uh, down and if this care uh, and concern for uh, material and, uh, and resource uh, usage uh, was really uh, incentivized and taken care of. So when you look at all those inefficiencies, there is definitely a way to become much more circular. Circular is not only about recycling, it's really about uh, reducing the use of materials, so trying to uh, eliminate those inefficiencies. It's also about uh, reusing. You have a lot of materials that can be reused. And for example, you see a lot today uh, around the re-commerce of uh, fashion goods or even electronic equipments. Why those industries push more for buying new stuff, new equipment or new uh, clothes instead of entering into this re-commerce and reuse uh, strategy. And uh, last but not least, recycling. Today, you have some fraction which are uh, barely recycled. For example, we speak a lot about plastic uh, because it has a major impact on the environment, the oceans, not to speak about uh, nanoparticles that are spread out in the environment and, uh, and also in the human bodies. But today, you have less than 10% of the plastic which is uh, recycled and very focused on high-value fraction like PET. So there is definitely the opportunity to uh, go more, uh, more circular. And it is a mix of uh, aligning uh, several things. And coming back to uh, the stakeholders, it's about regulations. Uh, we'll come back on that. But uh, Europe uh, as a continent is taking a really a leading role in uh, pushing for uh, additional uh, circularity in the economy. It is about technology. You have today a lot happening uh, in not only the recycling, but also, for example, how to produce energy from uh, some uh, bio-waste. Uh, a lot of things are happening in that field. It's about business models and definitely what is being done by imposing a CO2 tax on the producer, uh, which are releasing greenhouse gas, is going to make recycling uh, much more competitive than uh, using virgin material. For example, if you look at uh, steel, uh, the additional cost uh, linked to uh, CO2 taxes is going to increase the price of producing from virgin material by 60%. And we are not speaking about 2040, uh, we are speaking about 2030, 2035. So this means that this is happening now. So a great economic and financial incentive to move in that direction. And last but not least, also uh, digital, uh, digitalization of the economy is also great to enter into uh, that world of uh, more circular economy, because first of all, you can trace the traceability uh, of waste. In this business, you know, there is this concept of uh, extended uh, producer responsibility, the one who is producing a good that will end up uh, into one form or another of waste, 
has to take the responsibility uh, of uh, dealing uh, with it at the end. And therefore, the digitalization of the economy also helps to ensure that uh, traceability. So there is really a, a great opportunity to get there. And in the numbers that we have been uh, producing, and Rainier was uh, mentioning that, so it's really uh, between reduce, reuse, recycle, we could create a ratio of 80% uh, material availability from end-of-life goods, uh, which means that today, to put it in a, in a simpler way, uh, when you look at end-of-life goods and waste, it only accounts for 40% of the materials that are uh, re-injected in the system. This could go up to 80% by uh, 2040. And at the same time, what Rainier was mentioning around uh, landfilling, but also waste to energy with CO2 emission would be uh, divided by two uh, in the same time frame horizon. Just to put it in perspective today, I mean, each person in EU has 2.2 tons of material that they use. And the end of life, over 1 million of that is pure waste. So there's a lot of waste happening in, in the whole material uh, chain. And when we look at sort of what is being recycled today, so recycling isn't recycling. It depends on what you actually do with it. And we call so much recycling. So uh, most of what we do when we do recycling is to do downcycle. The material become less valuable than the original material. And what you want to do is upcycle, so you make it more valuable. And uh, that's where we will see also a large opportunity. So we need to invest quite a lot in order to improve uh, the sorting, in order to improve the upcycling, and also to create valuable materials out of it. And we looked at the, the total capital need that is needed in Europe until 2040 to do this. And about 50 billion euro needs to be invested in, in improved sorting. About 80 billion needs to be invested in, in better upcycling of a material. And about 100 billion is needed to invest in creating valuable products like sustainable aviation fuel, for example, that can be made out of organic material or some other products. So there's a 230 billion euro investment opportunity in order to facilitate this change. So Bertrand, looking at this 230 billion euro investment opportunity, that's going to create a lot of revenues and value creation in the circular economy. So where do you see the opportunities? Definitely, uh, I think that it's uh, about uh, completely rebuilding uh, the infrastructure to be able uh, to achieve those goals. Uh, in the future. So it's a massive uh, investment uh, that has to be uh, carried out over that period. And what we uh, calculated is that today, whatever is around the circularity uh, of materials represents a value pool of 160 billion euro a year. And this could go up to uh, 820 billion euro by 2040. A lot of it is around uh, reduce, reuse, re-commerce, more or less uh, half of it. And uh, the rest would be around one part recycling, so extracting valuable materials from waste, but also producing green energy, being either through uh, biogas, biochar, but also being able to uh, produce energy without emitting any greenhouse gas emission, either with revolutionary technology we are looking at or with carbon capture uh, mechanism. So this is a massive economic value uh, for Europe. And uh, when we speak about that, it's also an opportunity for job creation. When we look at history, uh, recycling was very manual when it started 10, 15 years ago. 
now it's about uh, visual recognition robots so those jobs are going to be uh, more and more uh, in need of skilled people and uh, and experts so uh, very interesting for those who uh, are <laughs> looking for great challenges in the in the future that's one thing and then another point uh, which is always a struggle between uh, economy uh, purchasing power and the cost of protecting the environment whenever you look at what the material represents uh, in the value of a good it's totally marginal I made the calculation the other day on a, a plastic bottle with a liquid soap. Uh, when you look at the plastic content of that product, it's less than 0,5% of the total cost of the good. So you see that a lot can be done without affecting purchasing power of people, which is today a concern, especially in Europe, uh, given the, the, the rise of inflation. To add to what you're saying, Bertrand, uh, we looked also at these 820 billion euros in revenues you know, what would the margins and what would companies that have those revenues and margins uh, be worth? And this is a one to two trillion euro opportunity. So to invest 230 billion to create this revenue can unleash one to two trillion uh, euros of value creation. So uh, I don't know what you think, Bertrand, but to me, this is one of the greatest investment opportunities I have ever seen. It's definitely uh, something that is going to uh, attract a lot of interest. And for people like you uh, and me who have been uh, watching and, uh, and acting in this industry, uh, sometimes with frustration because it was not moving as fast as uh, we would have hoped, it's clearly happening now. And uh, the combination of uh, regulatory pressure, price incentive with uh, the CO2 mechanism, and also the necessity for a large brand, large corporation to embrace circularity uh, makes that a lot is going to happen in the coming years. And we are absolutely uh, excited about the idea of finding opportunities to invest in that sector. How could this look like and play out in different sectors? We're talking about waste a lot, but also in the fashion industry, for example. Do you have examples of companies that you think are embodying the circular economy model? When you look at consumer products, you will find all the well-known brands, Nestle, Danone, and, and so on, which have taken a strong commitments to uh, be more circular uh, in a reasonable time frame, hein, because it is good uh, not only for uh, their reputation, but also uh, to be able to work on their scope tree in terms of CO2 emissions. You have it in the steel industry, for example. I'm very uh, interested to see that uh, when we were looking at uh, steel industry a couple of years ago, decarbonization was uh, to be uh, done through a decarbonized uh, energy supply. Uh, now they all have realized that if they were to reincorporate recycled metal, they could decarbonize immediately their uh, footprint by uh, 80 to 90 percent, which means that they need to invest in their own facilities to be able to uh, add more uh, recycled metal. You see that in the in glass industry. You see that uh, also in the paper industry. So uh, you have a lot of actors that uh, are going in that direction. What was missing, and uh, I must say that by experience also, uh, Europe really moved forward uh, with environmental subject when Europe and the European Commission decided to make it a priority. This is what we experience in the water sector, in the wastewater sector. It's EU regulation that really uh, set the tone for an improvement. And what we have seen as part of the Green Deal and the latest regulation is that there is a very, very strong push from EU regulators to go in that direction, not only for CO2 reduction, already I mentioned the possibility to reduce CO2 emission by uh, 
nearly 50-55%, and we can say that there is no possibility for Europe to reach the net zero target without embracing uh, circularity. That's one thing. But also, Europe realized it was very much dependent on uh, import for access to materials. So if I take again the example of a car, which is sitting in a car park for 95% of the time, it will tomorrow have an electric battery. I think that just today, uh, the EU agreed finally uh, to uh, really abandon thermal uh, propulsion to go to electricity, but all the materials you have in battery, most of them are not available or not in, in quantity in Europe. And therefore, developing recycling capabilities to get access to those materials is absolutely uh, critical for the future competitiveness of Europe. So all of that is uh, is happening and, and myself as a truly uh, European citizen, I think that we have both the robustness of our economy, the appetite to uh, care for the environment, maybe more than in other areas of the world. And if Europe could be in a situation to lead this transformation so that it also serves as a reference and an example for other countries and avoid them to make the same mistake we made in the past, I think that would be uh, good for uh, all uh, European citizens. So true. So Rainier, do you have some favorite example that you want to share of a company? There's a lot of innovation happening in, in Scandinavia. And I think if you look at what uh, H2 Green Steel are doing in, uh, in Sweden, where they are producing uh, green steel based on hydrogen and, um, and using a lot of recycled material. And then that has to be recycled in a certain way. So uh, it qualifies with the quality that they need and how the car manufacturers are now willing to pay a premium to get that green uh, steel. So that's sort of linking the recycling industry and, and waste with the producers going into uh, the cars and a lot of the material that we use today also in, in building material. So I think this is a good example that is happening in our, in our home market of creating more of a circular uh, value chain. All of this that we are talking about is a great vision for European business and society. But achieving it will require close collaboration and, and a lot of joint action between European companies and policymakers and investors. So is it realistic? And if so, what needs to be done first? First, regulation. The European Commission and is really setting the tone. That's very important. For me, something that is absolutely critical is uh, to keep up with uh, CO2 taxes and uh, ETS mechanism. That's really what makes circularity a viable business. I had experiences in the 2008 crisis, whenever uh, the oil price was going down, uh, virgin material plastic was going down, and uh, the customers or the industrial that were buying our secondary raw material would adjust the price on uh, virgin material. Today, it is not anymore the case. First of all, they are more conscious about uh, what it requests to have access to those uh, recycled materials, but also CO2 mechanism will be a, a kind of uh, penalty. So this is completely changing the panorama. We were more in an industry that was offer-oriented, constraining, reducing landfill, uh, putting taxes on uh, activities to force recycling. Today, it will be uh, much more driven by the demand. Uh, because of those CO2 mechanisms, those prices, there will be a demand at a higher price for those uh, recycled uh, materials, and that changes totally the dynamic. Because then you can attract investors, of course, but you can also finance innovation, research and development, because the pools of money we have been speaking about, uh, both in terms of economy and in terms of investment, uh, are really going to help uh, accelerate that movement. So 
regulation, industries have uh, embraced now the need to be more circular. And now it's also having investors ready to uh, invest in those uh, topics. What we have seen, and I can speak uh, <laughs> freely about it, is uh, it was quite a conservative approach. A lot of investors had, had on those businesses uh, willing, looking at uh, predictability. So they were going more for... Uh, solution of the past than the, the one of the future. And this was understandable because most of the businesses around the circularity were not viable. But with this change of panorama and all the numbers we have been mentioning, this is a major shift. And that's the only way to accelerate is that the 230 billion that Rainier was speaking about are deployed uh, as fast as possible so that we can benefit from uh, the effect of this new infrastructure and the impact it will have uh, not only on circularity, but uh, on CO2 emissions. Today, we recycle very little and most of it is downcycled. So with the technologies available today, and if we invested today, what's already there, uh, between 60 and 70% of the end-of-life material could be reused into a new cycle. And we see that in, in 2040, that can go up to 80%. So uh, that would make the whole economy much more circular. And as you said, lower the emissions by more than 50% compared to today. So it's a massive opportunity and, and the technologies are available today. So if we just figured out how to orchestrate all of this and move in the same direction, this is possible and it's a great investment opportunity as well. So for the people who are very interested in this and want to dig deeper, you've written a paper on this that is uh, possible to download on uh, summaequity.com slash readings. From a more of a helicopter perspective, what do you think the world needs most right now? Given the, the challenges we are all facing, what we need today is a lot of collaboration, a lot of cohesion and a long-term view. And unfortunately, it seems that the world is going into an opposite direction. But the only possibility to address those challenges, but any of the major challenges we are uh, as a planet facing is to be uh, much more collaborative and, uh, and cohesive. Uh, and each one, enfin, at least this is what I try to apply in the, in the way I work and I relate to others, is to try to uh, embark as many uh, people and uh, people of good faith and uh, goodwill in the same direction. We need to all do our part to solve a wicked problem. So uh, collaboration and uh, sort of a joint effort is quite important. And then I think entrepreneurship. So when you see all these opportunities, there's a lot that's going to be happening in existing companies. But you think about uh, the potential of new business models, which could be a quite large part of this revenue that can be created. We need entrepreneurs and we need uh, some new thinking and, and some new business models. It's not always that innovation happens from uh, those that are there, but uh, you need some new eyes and some guts to do it. Great. And Bertrand, what is your advice to young people when they are in the midst of making you know, choices to design their life work? Trying to find a purpose in what you do. Having a, a job that is uh, meaningful and serve a purpose, I think it's uh, something uh, I would advise. Then be very careful about the work environment. There are so many opportunities uh, in the world, in the economy, if things are changing so fast, that uh, having a great work environment, great colleagues uh, that respect you, that help you, that bring you this collaboration I was speaking about, is something um, very important. And, and very often, young professionals, you know, they are so dedicated to their mission and, and get the job done that sometimes they accept things that they should not accept. I'm thinking about myself maybe a long time ago. And uh, this is why it's great to be uh, 
part of SUMA and uh, with the SUMA team, you have uh, both uh, the purpose and the great uh, work environment, uh, a culture that is uh, something very important because at the end, you are part of a team, you are part of implementing a vision and, and you need to feel well and relate well with, uh, with, with your colleagues and your work environment. Great advice. And I would, of course, urge everyone to read our paper on the theory of change circularity because it does have implications for all companies, for consumers, those working in government and policy sectors. So as long as you can see the, the grand picture, what can we achieve and how can everyone contribute? I think no matter what job you have, it's a possibility to lean in and make this happen. And we need that. And I would also add that if you would like to work for Norske Envinning or Waste, management company and be part of this journey, then of course, we are looking to grow the organization as well. Great. Bertrand, any, any final comments on uh, the main takeaway that you would like people to have? Read the document. I think it's very, very rich. We assembled a lot of competencies, different eyes. It's not only a couple of smart guys. It's really a collective work embracing a lot of very different perspectives. It's very rich. I even discovered things myself, I must admit, uh, from the work that was done. And, uh, and it will show you that uh, it's a sector uh, which has fantastic opportunities. Uh, and as Rainier said, uh, given the, the, the size and the magnitude of what to be uh, achieved, there is definitely room for uh, all the ones who want to play one role or another in this uh, great journey uh, ahead of us. Yeah, and if you look at the material production today, it's uh, over a third of our CO2 emissions and over 20%. So it's, it goes down to a little bit over 20%. If you look at sort of how we today create waste, don't recycle or, re or downcycle. So over 20% of our CO2 emissions is due to a linear economy. This can be reduced by 55% if we go to a circular economy. And looking at from a business opportunity and investor standpoint, it takes 230 billion euros of investments to make this happen. That creates over 800 billion uh, euros in revenues. And that unleashes a value creation opportunity of between 1 and 2 trillion euros and all the jobs that go with it. So it's one of the most fantastic investment opportunities that I've seen where you can really invest to create value and create jobs and address the resource problem that we have and the climate change issues and, and CO2 emissions uh, that we have. Not really a fantastic opportunity. So repeating where you can download the paper is on summaequity.com slash readings. Thank you so much, Bertrand. Thank you, Rainier, for a great conversation. And I'll end with a quote by Mother Teresa, which is, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. So thank you guys for creating a lot of great ripples. This is Summa and Friends, the show that inspires and guides you on how we together can create a wiser future. Listen to unique leaders and experts exploring the challenges we are facing and revealing their stories about the solutions and how to get there. Episodes are released bi-weekly on your favorite podcast platform. And the week after, we release an in-depth blog article to help you capture the core ideas from the dialogues and how you can help move things forward. Summa and Friends is a podcast for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. To find out more, you will find links and show notes on summaequity.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope it has inspired you to reflect on what you can do to contribute. And to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share. 
this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. I'm Vesna Luca, and you've been listening to Summa and Friends. And until next time, live with purpose and be the change you want to see. Thank you.